Backyard Farmer. I'm Kim Todd. We do hope you enjoyed yourself for the fourth and still have all your fingers. If you have garden questions, please dial 1-800-676-5446. You can also contact us with pictures and emails for a future show. That address is byf at unl.edu. We do need to know where you live. Give us as much information as you can so we can give you a good answer. With that out of the way, we are going to start with samples. Wayne, you have tiny creatures. I do have tiny creatures. They like to invade people's homes. Uh, when we get warm, I know we're getting a little bit of a reprieve from the heat um, late this week, but uh, we were warmer earlier and it was time for the strawberry root weevils to start invading. They like to come in and invade and they wander all over just like they're wandering over me right now. Uh, they don't hurt anything. They're just trying to find a cooler place to spend part of the summer until it cools back down. Then they'll head back outside and they're not a danger to anything inside or out. Don't smash them. You might leave a stain on the wall or ceiling where you smash them. But bagless vacuum cleaner works really well or just a, a cup because they play dead as soon as they get something next to them. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Capture that one off your wrist. Rock, this is uh, a monocot, so I guess we'll forgive you that it's not really a grass. It's not really a grass, but what I wanted to show here, sometimes things mimic other things. You know, we see aphids look like phenoxy injury and whatever, and sometimes it goes the other direction. Um, but in this case, this is me being clumsy. I, um, I was spraying around the mailbox, and I stepped away from the mailbox thinking I had another step with the sprayer in my hand and of course the nozzle was not engaged and then I stepped off the curb and fell and when I fell I squeezed the trigger on the glyphosate thing because I was spot spraying for weeds in and around on the mulch bed and this is a day lily so thank god it won't die because nothing can kill a day lily but <laughs> I, you can see where the direct hit was and it's where it's very discolored you know this was a leaf that was in the front and right in direct spray legs and then it's interesting because you get back behind the, um, the the ones that took the initial hit and you can see these little tiny spots which is actually not herbicide injury but it's the droplet of water in the heat of the day magnifying and burning that there you go great camera work but you can see those little spots um, you know there may be a little bit of herbicide in there but it's basically we saw this injury within the, the very next morning, you could see it after a warm, hot, sunny day. But the other injury ended up showing up in about five to seven days. And that was because I misdirected an application and should probably never do that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Kyle, uh, devastation in the oaks. Uh, yeah, and I guess more things that kind of mimic other things. Mm -hmm. And I guess neither really a rot nor a spot. But I have some, some oak leaves that came in. And so this is a bur oak uh, that came, came into the diagnostic clinic. This is what a bur oak leaf is supposed to look like. And I, I actually do know this one, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I, my, my plant ID is spotty on occasion. But they were concerned about this and all this, all this feeding or kind of this they thought there was some critter that was feeding all over their oak leaves, wondering if it was a Trinidad scorpion or something like that. Um, but it's actually oak leaf tatters. And so this is a physiological abnormality that we see with a lot of oaks. Um, I've been seeing a fair amount of it this year. We don't have a great reason for why it occurs. Um, there are, have been some herbicides that have been implicated to make, um, to make samples or to make symptoms worse, but we have also, we can also see this injury where, where we know there is no, where there is no herbicides being sprayed. 
But basically, we just get this inter the the tissue between the veins is gone, and it looks a lot like insect feeding. Generally, it's going to be pretty uniform throughout the entire tree. Often, it's not going to cause a major problem, um, but just something to something to kind of deal with. And uh, if you see it, don't be don't be concerned, and don't blame Wayne for this one either. <laughs> right. Okay, John, some peppers. Well, I have some peppers, and it's because there's a scandal brewing across the country, and it's called Jalapeno Gate. So these oh. look sort of like a jalapeno pepper, but you'll notice the color is off. And this is happening all across the country. Here's the tag, this gardener, her name was Rachel. Uh, I picked those up. So it says jalapeno, looks like a dark green, red jalapeno, but all across the country, jalapenos are showing up bright yellow like a banana pepper. And so the theory is, and I'm, I'm gonna do a little research, but it's Oklahoma, Kansas, California, Nebraska, it's all over Facebook. Uh, my theory is that the seed supplier had some crossbreeding issues with banana peppers, because in some places they look like uh, jalapenos that are just yellow. In some places they get banana pepper shapes. And in some places the peppers actually stand upright like the, the Thai chili peppers. And so um, that's what's going on with jalapeno peppers across the country. Interesting. <laughs> All right, first round of questions. Wayne, you have uh, two pictures on this one. We have actually had this both for entomology and pathology, but we haven't really used the pictures and we're still hearing it. This comes to us from Western Nebraska and it's hackberry. And it's uh, the clusters of leaves, the balls of dying leaves. They saw a tiny spider, but what are these things and what do we do about it? Spider was probably just using that as a home. Um, this is hackberry, which is gall, mm -hmm. or which is broom, excuse me. At least I didn't say Trinidad scorpions eating plants. Scorpions are predatory, come on, Kyle. I, you know, <laughs> I'm not an entomologist. <laughs> Um, so this is an interaction between an aerophyid mite and one of Kyle's friends, a powdery mildew. And nothing to do about it. No. 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 Even cutting it out isn't effective, so. All right. Resistant species to get rid of it. Okay, excellent. Your next one comes to us from Omaha, and she found this beautiful creature on a house foundation. She's got lots of trees and shrubs. She wants to know some things about it in addition to what is it. Okay, it is a Pandora Sphinx moth. The caterpillars feed on grape and Virginia creeper. So that, that's what they are. They're not usually a big problem to those plants, but they moths certainly are nice to look at. They really are beautiful. All right, thank you very much. Rock, your first one comes to us from Alliance. Uh, this lawn is thinning, it has dead patches. He does say they sometimes follow the mower tracks. Uh, did talk to Extension, they thought maybe fungus. The lawn care people thought turf blight. <laughs> they say they become slaves to lawn care. They have 20,000 square feet of turf and they wanna know what this is and what to do about it. Well, I'm gonna say the, the um, general, you know, thinning and everything, that's been going on a lot across uh, all over Nebraska, especially eastern, where we haven't gotten the rainfall, and then the striping that happens in the in the mower tracks could either be the soil is compacted underneath and they're not rotating their mowing pattern, or if they are mo rotating their mowing pattern, then you know there's a physiological thing that happens when we're right the soil is dry and the lawn is 
got a little bit of moisture in it, and it'll crush the cells, and then they turn brown in the track. So um, I'm going to say just it's it's been a bad year for a lot of species, and the lawns have suffered, especially if you're used to a lawn that you rarely water, and now all of a sudden you should have been watering it and you haven't been. Uh, so I'm going to say that's a general decline. That that lawn looked like there may be some good recovery in it, but if it doesn't look like it's recovered much as in this cool weather or what, as we get closer to the fall, they might consider overseeding. All right, thank you, Rock. Uh, you have one picture on this next one, and this one is uh, a zoysia lawn, significant patches, and she overseeded it with tall fescue in places the zoysia succumbed last year, but the fescue did not. And her question is, will the fescue spread from the clumps, or should she overseed? And if so, how does she prepare for that? So basically this is not going to spread in and fill in. You know, tall fescue, they say it spreads, it really doesn't, not at the level that bluegrass does. Um, certainly they need to run an fire over that in the fall and overseed with the same cultivar they planted originally or the blend or mixture that they had. And thank God that they're getting rid of that zoysia grass. <laughs> and yes, we did have that back and forth in comment <laughs> with her <laughs> on your very favorite grass. <laughs> All right, thanks Rock. This one, uh, Kyle, is for you. This is a master gardener from Wahoo. She found a seedling uh, in, an, in a flower bed. She said it, she thinks it's an oak. She doesn't think it's chlorosis. She wonders, uh, will it continue as the plant grows or revert to plain green? And she's wondering if she should apply for a patent. Um, you, you could. The, so I actually received some samples of, a, of an oak leaf last fall that looked exactly like this and really, it looks viral, um, but could not find any viruses in there. Um, and really, we think it's just a just a, a mutation. So, so yeah, apply for that patent, and maybe you'll be rich. Right. You can endow that that money to backyard farmer. Absolutely, to the path lab, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. You have two pictures on the next one, uh, and this is great. This is uh, this woman is in Wisconsin, and her sister who lives in Nebraska recommended us. So she was outside the other night and she saw a light. So that first picture was from the edge of the lawn. She didn't think there was any metal or glass. She went over and looked at it and it was on the bottom of a tree that had fallen over. The next day she went out and she found that next picture down by the roots. So she couldn't really tell what was going on there. Yeah, this is this is awesome. Um, so this is some sort of bioluminescent fungus is most likely what's what's going on here. There actually are quite a few of our common mushrooms that can bioluminesce in the right in the right environments. And so a lot of them that we think about that are kind of pathogenic like um, like our malaria will typically see you know a lot of fruiting bodies at the base of a tree. Um, but our malaria can bioluminesce in the in the right um, right conditions. Mycena, um, some of our inky cap mushrooms can also bioluminesce, but I guess the, there you just have a a hyphal mat, and what the actual fungus is, I'm not sure, but it's probably feeding on that decomposing, um, that tree that had, had fallen, and just something really, really cool to look at. This is what should probably be patented, in all honesty. <laughs> all right. John, you have three pictures on this one. Uh, she had a linden that was topped, obviously. And unfortunately, um, this, this is in the Benson area. And then we have one of those double leaders that still has some sprouts on it. This, what do they do about this? Is this a goner or, or what? I think this one is a goner. And I think I read in the notes in this that they had someone come and do some pruning on it. 
uh, and it's just probably, and topping a tree is never a good idea. Uh, and so I think uh, it's just been improperly pruned with that topping. Uh, these water sprouts that are coming out, that is sort of like a, a sign that's the death throes of the tree. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually you're just going to have to cut that all the way down, unfortunately. All right. And you have two pictures on this next one. Uh, this comes to us from Wahoo. It is tree of heaven. It's 50 feet tall and 15 feet around. The leaves are getting a little sparse and some dead areas, but he's wondering anything he can do to help it or just enjoy it while he's got it. You know, you can prune it up and, and, you know, sort of make it look a little nicer, but, you know, it is on its way out. And to be honest, uh, Tree of Heaven uh, is actually an invasive species in Nebraska. Uh, it might be a male tree, so it's not producing fruit and spreading, but it can still contribute to that. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I think it's short-lived. Uh, and like I said, it is an invasive species in Nebraska and much of the U.S. All right. Thank you, John. Well, you know, we cannot overestimate the importance of pollinators. So for our first feature, Scott Evans is going to talk about different blooming seasons and how that helps support pollinator habitat. We've talked about creating pollinator habitats before on the show. You can find those episodes and segments on our Backyard Farmer YouTube page in case that you need any refreshers or if you're just starting out. But today we want to talk about a critical component of a habitat, and that is three seasons of flowers. We know that insects are active early spring to late fall, and we want to make sure that we're providing them the floral resources that they might need. When it comes to our spring blooming plants, sometimes we just think about tulips and daffodils, but we know that they're not providing the resources for our insects. We want to incorporate plants such as the wild geranium, the ground plum, the pasque flower. A lot of our penstemons do very well here, but we don't want to limit just to perennials. We can incorporate small shrubs and trees into the landscape, such as the viburnum, witch hazel, fothigilia, the fringe tree, and even the redbud. They provide a lot of shelter for the habitat and they help extend the bloom season. When it comes to summer, we want to work with plants that have lots of different flower shapes, colors, and sizes. We can work with cone flowers, goldenrods, liatris. There's just a lot of plants that we can work with. When we're going to the garden center nowadays, we're seeing cultivars of our native plants. We do know that native plants attract native insects. So when you look at the cultivar, we wanna make sure that that plant closely resembles the species type. So that way we're much more productive for the insects. And when we start looking at um, some of our introduced plants that are not invasive, such as the hosta that does really well in the um, shade, it provides a lot of resources for our insects. Don't forget about our grasses like our little blue stem or even our baked blue stem. We have sedges and we also have our annual herbs such as basil, rosemary, parsley, dill. If we let those go to bloom, we can invite more insects into the landscape. We also know that um, dill and parsley is the larvae host for the black swallow butterfly. When it comes to fall, our palate starts to shrink. We know that we can work with our fall blooming asters. There are some great goldenrod, such as Wichita Mountains. It does really well in the landscape and it doesn't tend to spread. 
So this summer, when you're in the garden, take a look at some of those gaps in the bloom times and see where you can start filling in to make your pollinator habitat more successful and productive for the insects. This is so important to keep in mind. And of course, we hope you have plenty of seasonal interest in your landscape, not just for the beauty, but to help those pollinators thrive so everybody can eat. All right, Wayne, round two. This comes to us from uh, rural Western Oto County. Came across this dude in a neighbor's garden. He thought it was an ordinary army worm on some spinach, but then these eggs in quotes on the back of the thing. He says he thinks they lay their eggs on leaves, not on themselves. So what, what do we have going on here? Well, they're not eggs. They're not eggs from the caterpillar. Caterpillars don't lay eggs. The adult moths or butterflies do. This is yellow striped army worm. As an entomologist, this is a fantastic photo. You've got either an endoparasite that's been inside and has now come out and is about ready to leave and we're spin cocoons or you've got an ectoparasite that lives on the outside and sucks the, basically the blood out of the caterpillar uh, and feeds and grows that way. Either way, that caterpillar's a goner. Great photo, not something you get to see every day. Yeah, pretty bug, cool. Bug people are weird. I know, yeah. <laughs> All right, so your next- At least we're not on shrooms. <laughs> <laughs> your next one comes to us from Omaha and she just wants to know some things about this beautiful beetle. It's a dog. Dogbane leaf beetle. Dogbane leaf beetle. Dogbane leaf beetle. They're specific to dogbane. Uh, they feed on that. So do the larvae. It's they're a very attractive shiny beetle, but they stick to their dogbanes. So the hemp dogbane that Cheryl talked about last week that mm -hmm. we tore out, we would have gotten rid of them. Yep, they tend to find that pretty readily. Okay. All right. Thank you, Wayne. So you're you have two pictures on this one. Um, and they come to us from Denton Rock or West Lincoln. Despite regular watering, the lawn seems to be going dormant. He does want to overseed this fall, so he's really wondering whether he should just stop watering entirely and or what to do to reestablish good turf here. So the first thing I see when I saw that picture before I read the description is a very poorly um, water distribution probably, and I know it's got an in-ground system, you can see it in the pictures. Um, I'm gonna guess that, you know, in Denton and some, some regions, you, you've, you know, in west of Lincoln, you have some water quality and water quantity issues, as well as pressure issues. And I'm gonna say that system isn't delivering um, what it should be, and that's why you get the green around the head and not out on the perimeter, because sprinklers are triangulated and then you get the overlap and all the other stuff you need. So from an engineering standpoint, they either need to be closer together or there needs to be something. So I would get a professional out there to look at that before I did anything, before I wasted any money, more money on seed, I'd find out and you know, you could put, throw out some tuna cans and catch the water and measure them and see how the distribution is. But really at the end of the day, it's gonna be, takes a professional to go in there and look and see and whether they need to put a power booster or a pump on that system to deliver the kind of pressures that they need. But right now I think you're seeing an undercharged irrigation system. And the only way to fix that is with engineering, not with plant um, science. All right, excellent, thanks Rock. You have two pictures on this one also, and this one's from Bellevue. So he's got strips of green stripes and then the grass looks great and then the sections are not green. He said this appeared after the yard was fertilized. 
Yeah, and this one's a little bit of a stumper because normally when we see tracking from tires, it's um, brown, you know, and, and we're seeing there. Occasionally, in, in my 35 years, we've seen where fertilizer has been crushed by a mower, whether it's a riding mower or, um, you know, a walk-behind mower, and actually they get a super quick release of fertility. Um, and, you know, so they see a green striping. But there's... I don't have enough information to really say that's indeed what's going on. Um, the lawn itself looks like it's in pretty good health where it's green, but then where it's not. So there could be water distribution issues, but I, I really don't. Normally the stripes are brown and everything else is green. This is the exact opposite. So I'm speculating on maybe there was some crushing of the fertilizer. Um, obviously there could be something on 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 the on the tires that caused it to go green, but I can't think of anything but fertilizer that would do that. So this was a, a good stumper, and if they want to send more information, certainly we'll try to address it. Okay, so if if they wanted to actually make everything green, fertilizer just wait. I think fall. that's a fertility response, and I just put more fertilizer on. Okay, good remedy for a non-turf person. I tell you what, <laughs> I have green turf. <laughs> or something green that I mow. I was going to say, you mow something that's green, <laughs> Kim. Okay. All right, Kyle, you have uh, two pictures on this one. And uh, this is several catalpa trees. They all face east, seven to eight years. They've been doing fine. One in, on, in the last week or two has started to do this, and they are six miles south of Blair. So what do we think is going on here? Yeah, and these, this is... Far from the only catalpa trees around here that are, that are doing this. I have a neighbor that is doing it, as we were talking before the show started. There's a few, um, a few more. And I suspect that we're dealing with some sort of canker issue a little bit, a little bit further back. You know, catalpas will get verticillium. Um, I don't think that that necessarily looks like verticillium, but I would, I would be curious to follow those infected branches back and see if there's not some sort of wound there that's basically preventing moisture and, and water from getting all the way out to the leaves. And that's why we kind of have the, the veins that are still staying green, but between is all dead. All right, and I think you have one more that's also a catalpa, and this one comes to us from Omaha. So it's probably the same thing? I suspect it is, and again, kind of the lower lower branches as well, and the, and actually, and this is, oh, this was the um, scorch as well, so, yeah. So then we go to the oak, I Yeah, think. and so Two this pictures. is, this, this is the oak, um, and so basically we just have fairly uniform, again, intervenal chlorosis, necrosis, um, but this just looks to me like environmental leaf scorch um, caused by adverse environmental conditions. Typically, we see it kind of um, throughout the entire tree. Normally, it's nothing to really worry about, but we do see it start to show up once it gets hot. And even though it's kind of cool now, it was hot not too long ago. Yeah, and we have some oaks on campus that have sort of started mm -hmm. to do that on the kind of the south side as well. All right. John, uh, you have two pictures on this first one, and this is a Roka viewer. They have three-year-old white pines and uh, the needles are beginning to turn brown. He's saying several trees. They're watered every two weeks until we had the very recent rain. And this part of Roca, I think, looks like it's probably one of the newer development areas down that way toward the bypass sort of locations. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? 
Well, I think that uh, every two weeks is definitely not enough water for these. <clears throat> so evergreens really do dry out pretty easily. Uh, and we get that browning on those. So if we have these white pines and especially newer trees, uh, you know, the roots aren't as established. I think all the damage that you're seeing here is from just, it's been hot, it's been dry. Uh, and they haven't had enough water. Unfortunately, with evergreens like this, with conifers, if you have whole branches that have turned brown, they don't really regrow. So if you have completely dead areas of that tree, basically you're gonna have to prune all that area out because it's never really gonna regrow. So, if, and, and again, if you look at the color of the remaining needles also, they were a little bit too yellow, probably. Yeah. So maybe the moisture is also not getting down into the ball, which can happen, I think, with a bigger tree like that. Does that True. probably yeah. make some sense? Yeah, I think there's just several issues going on with those trees. All right, so water more. Water more. <laughs> All right, so your next one comes to us from rural Malvern, Iowa. And uh, this is one picture, and it's a spring snow flowering crab apple. Mm -hmm. She did say it froze last season, um, so She's saying early spring of 2023, so probably had one of those terrible mm -hmm. freeze dealy bobs going on. This year it looks like this. She's wondering, can it be saved? They'd like to save all or part of it, if at all possible. Is that a possibility? I mean, you can save part of it. Would I? Probably not. So, you know, you have to sit back and think, if the dead half of the tree is gone, am I gonna love what's left? <laughs> Uh, and, you know, it's going to be, you know, not the best quality tree, not the best looking tree. Um, so it is possible just to, to cut out that dead and, and leave the, what's living. But I don't think I would do that. I wouldn't recommend that. And you're going to be happier if you just go ahead and, and cut that out and replace it. All right. Thank you, John. We have crab apples dropping like flies in Lincoln. Yeah. Too. So, well, you know, one of the great things in our garden are all of the All-America selections. Terry James has picked one out this week for us to focus on out in the backyard farmer garden. This week in the backyard farmer garden, we're going to start looking at our 2023 All America Selection winners. Remember, those are the ones that have been through the trial gardens and were the best of the best, and we get to display them for the next five years. So this week we're going to look at the first one, the Snapdragon Double Shot Orange Bicolor. Now this one is really good, especially for those of you that really like Snapdragons. It is held on through the heat. It looks fantastic. It's a double flower and it's a bright orange and it really kind of stands out in our garden. As you know, it's an annual here. It'll take full to part sun. We have it planted in our beds, but according to the judges, you would only need three in about a 10 to 14 inch container to fill it out and look fantastic for the whole summer. But remember, you need to make sure that you add those spillers in there to make your container look great. So stop by the Backyard Farmer Garden and check out this fantastic Snapdragon Double Shot Orange Bicolor Flower. Of course, it is time for the lightning round. All right, you are up first, John. Are you hey, ready? Is a jalapeno yellow. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. All right, uh, your first one comes to us, we're not sure from where, but he is transplanting asparagus from pots. He rescued it 
and he wants to know when he can move it to his forever home. Uh, I would wait until the fall when, the, when it's not as hot and dry. <laughs> All right, this is a McCook viewer who says the potatoes have small branches on top that look like tomatoes. What are those and what should she do about that? Uh, those are the fruit of the potato plant. They are related to tomatoes. Uh, you can just leave them. All right. Uh, this is a Western Iowa viewer who said in that uh, 4th of July storm, a, a tree tipped itself out of the ground. Can it be just stuffed back in and restaked or should they give it up? Uh, I would give it up. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a Lincoln viewer who has actually peaches that are just loading down his tree. Mm -hmm. He wonders if he should go ahead and thin them or just let them be. Uh, if it looks like it's going to break the branches, go ahead and thin them. Okay. This is a Spencer, Iowa viewer who started apples from seed. The three trees he has didn't bloom and they don't create apples. What's the deal? Well, if it is a seedling that you started from seed, it can take many, many years for that to produce. It's a standard tree, so you might not get production for 10, 12, 15 years. All right. Thank you, John. Nice job. All right. You ready? Born ready. Okay. Your first one comes to us from Auburn, Kyle. Uh, they have a bunch of different hydrangeas, and several of them have red leaf spots. Is that going to be fatal, or what should they do about that? Uh, it's probably not going to be fatal. It could be a ramularia leaf spot um, or a cercospora. I wouldn't worry about them too much. All right. Um, we have a viewer who bought corn at a farmer's market. They don't say where they were. And it had corn smut on the end of it. And Lucky. They're, <laughs> and they're wondering, is it OK to compost that, or will that turn into, like, grossness all over their landscape. Yeah, you can compost it or you could just fry it up with a little bit of olive oil and eat it. Right. We have uh, somebody asking us, what exactly does spread the lawn fungi? Um, I guess it depends on what lawn fungus we're, work we're thinking about, but basically any woody tissue deep in the soil profile is the fungus is going to be feeding on that. So. All right. Could misting a tropical gardenia every day cause it to get disease? This is a Plattsmouth viewer. No. All right. Nice job. You always get hard questions, but you won last week. I, I would have <laughs> talked a long time about, about smut, too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. All right, Rock, you ready? Sure. This is a uh, La Vista viewer who has good, she bought good fescue seeds several years ago, and uh, she's wondering whether that seed goes bad. Uh, fescue is normally gonna stay f for about three to four years with optimal germination, and maybe up to five if it's been stored in a dry location. All right, uh, this is an Omaha viewer who last fall used composted uh, manure on his garden, found out that the hay had been treated with grazon. He removed the top two inches of soil wonders will the garden be okay for next year. Yeah, I'm got a little concerned about Grazon. It's got a long residual, but at the same time, if it was composted correctly, it should be predominantly gone. So I would wait and see, unfortunately. Right. This is a Fremont viewer who wonders if you've heard of something called hide retain. Nope. All right, uh, we have a viewer who does have net sedge for sure and wants to know whether you can kill it now and with what. 
Well, right now you're just going to burn it back and irritate it, and it may pop more plants than before. Um, so we generally say be for the longest day of the year, or actually the first couple of weeks in June throughout eastern Nebraska is the best time to treat. All right. Nice job. Okay, Wayne. You ready? I'm ready like a Trinidad scorpion and all-you-can-eat insect buffet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is, your first one is an Omaha viewer. Uh, she has several praying mantis egg cases, and she's wondering, have they already hatched, and if not, when will they? They should have already hatched by now. All right. Uh, this is also an Omaha viewer who wonders, why is there so little damage this year to the lindens by the Japanese beetles? That's funny. Kyle and I were just talking about this today. They seem to be a little slower in coming out this year, and there's not a the big rush like we normally see. All right. Uh, we have a carny viewer who wonders whether removing the milkweed after flowering is a good idea, or does that disrupt the monarch life cycle? They will feed on the newer leaves, and there are other caterpillars that are native that will feed on the older leaves. So best to leave it. All right. We have an Alliance viewer who wonders whether honeybees drink individually or do they take water and take it back to the hive? Both. All right. They will drink for themselves, but they will also take it back and regurgitate it at the hive. All right. And then their second question from the same viewer is how much water do they need? I can't give you an exact amount, but they use it for cooling the hive as well as for drinking. So they would need it for both purposes. All right. Nice job. Who won? A tie. Oh, John and I are going to have to fight over it again. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> okay, John, plants of the week. Plants of the week. So we have two lovely, very important pollinator plants here. Uh, so many people will uh, recognize this. Uh, purple coneflower or echinacea. Uh, many people will recognize either of those names. Uh, great pollinator plants, uh, really, you know, native uh, plants that, that feed lots of pollinators, lots of different soil types. Uh, so it's, it's pretty um, good for many different types of gardens. And then we have uh, this whitish kind of, if you were close, you could see that's also a little pink. Uh, this is called Culver's Root. Uh, it's also uh, native uh, and it can range between two and six feet. Uh, it's sort of, some people refer to it as like a candelabra. It has like these giant, you know, uh, bunches of flowers. Also a great pollinator plant. Uh, so those are two wonderful plants that we have going on this week. In the Backyard Farmer Garden. Right, of right course. out of the Backyard Farmer Garden. All right, thanks. Okay, you have two pictures on this first one, uh, Wayne. This comes to us from Papillion. And this is a four-year-old mandarin honeysuckle vine, a wonderful flush of flowers, then nothings, the blossoms appeared to be drying up. She got a magnifying glass out and found specks and stuff. There's all kinds of aphids on this. Um, just like was said earlier, you know, aphids can mimic herbicide immaturity. They can shrivel things up based on their feeding. It's likely what's going on here. Um, might be a little too late to save some of the flowers. Maybe it'll grow out of it if it continues, but you got to get those aphids off of there. Hose or something with permethrin or insecticidal soaps work well. All right. One picture on the next one. This comes to us from Cozad. Showed up on our annual cannas overnight. What is this? Well, that was actually done while that leaf was still all rolled up around the plant. Uh, it could be a, a number of things. Possibilities include a caterpillar that was in there feeding or even possibly a Japanese beetle that was feeding inside that leaf roll. All right, fun. Uh, Carney viewer sent this next one. 
What is this insect? It looked like it was covered in cotton. Well, it looks like it's got a little bit of cotton from a cottonwood on it, but that is a male Dobson fly. You can tell it's a male because the front mandibles look like elephant tusks, when they, and the females are much shorter and look like a standard insect mandible, but these are some of our larger insects. All right. Then we have an Omaha viewer who found these while digging in the backyard. Wonders what they are. Well, those are, they're scarab pupae of some kind. So scarab beetles include our Japanese beetles, mass chafer, Mayjun beetles. It's hard to tell which one it is. Pupae are really hard to identify. Um, they're worse than grubs are to identify. So it's one of those fun find. All right, and then Carney again, and this viewer has something eating the aspen leaves and stems. Well, we're not gonna be able to really tell them what it is without seeing the actual critter. Uh, there's a lot of caterpillars that will feed on aspens. There's a few sawflies that will feed on aspens. Uh, it's not Japanese beetle because it's not skeletonization. We know that, but beyond that, I can't tell you much. All right, thanks, Wayne. You have three pictures on this first one, uh, Rock. This comes to us from La Vista. She thinks this is crabgrass that has taken over a bare spot in the yard and it's invading the vegetable garden. She wants to know how to treat so that she can garden or whether she should give up and just plant turf. Yeah, I mean, it's crabgrass and, mm -hmm. and she was correct in that assumption. Um, the, in the vegetable garden, you certainly can uh, get rid of crabgrass with a preen product a preen-based product, there's also an organic preen as well as a synthetic preen, so you know that's up to her to decide and timing is important. Um, so read the label, but generally you're gonna wanna get that on um, around the last week in April, first week in May um, um, for the garden. And then if you wanna go back to lawn or put it and make sure it doesn't spread anymore from the, the lawn into there, then make sure you get a pre-emergent on in the spring. All right, you have one picture on this next one. This is an Omaha viewer. She has this ground cover that has purple flowers, and then she thought this was a green variant that was taking it over, but then she asked, is this a weed? No, I, I don't think that's a variant. I think this is a weed. I, and you and I talked about this. It looks a little like immature Pennsylvania pellitory, and we both independently came up with that, so I'm gonna guess we were correct, but uh, <laughs> um, which is a <clears throat> indistinct flowering, um, annual native, kind of plant, right? And it, it, who knows where it came in from or why, but certainly they can let them, it's gonna do its duty and then die this year. And it looks like that ground cover is relatively healthy, so it'll probably choke it out next year. All right, and then two pictures on the next one. Uh, this is an Omaha viewer. Had two of these plants on the side of the yard choking out the hosta. They had a 12 inch long flower that she thought was small white flowers, and it's now going all over the place. Any ideas on this? So I, 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 it's not really a picture that I can get a lot of information from. It looks like it might be an amaranth of some kind. The leaf structure and everything else looks like that, but um, we need a little more, either a closer picture or a more mature plant. So if they'd be willing to let some of it go, but I think it's obviously invading and if they want to get rid of it, then go ahead and do that. But I can't really make a recommendation until we had positively idea it. All right, thank you, Rock. Kyle, you have uh, one picture on this first one. This comes to us from Dwight. And uh, she, she, she wonders whether zinnias also get asters yellow because she did send us a picture of a coneflower with them. Yeah, they, they can, and that's, the, the, that's what, we, what we were looking at here. And so aster yellows is a, caused by a phytoplasma, which is basically a bacteria that doesn't have a cell wall, but it's vectored by, by some leaf hoppers. 
nothing to do about it. So one, if you don't want that in your in your garden, although this one that's kind of half half pink and the other other rest of the flower is green, I think that looks pretty cool. Um, but if you don't want it, you'll need to remove those. Right, and and again, the uh, the zinnias don't really do this. They just they kind of they get just the wads yeah they just kind of get that that epinasty that abnormal growth. All right. So then you have two pictures on this next one. This comes to us from Plattsmouth. Uh, this is a flowering pear. The leaves are brown in some spots and have orange spots. And then the second picture has these branches that are completely brown. He's wondering what this is and what to do about it. Well, the first <clears throat> picture is rust. And so we'll be seeing that on every, every pear coming up here. Um, the second picture is, I th it, look, it looks, like, a lot, looks a, lot, a lot like fire blight. Um, when, I, when I had zoomed in, some of the, it looked like we did have kind of that, stereo, that stereotypical shepherd's crook um, symptomology. I wasn't seeing a lot of the black um, petioles that we'd normally see with, with, um, with fire blight, but depending on um, different, different hybrids and their resistance, Sometimes we don't quite get that black coloration, but I think this is fire blight. You should probably prune this, uh, prune this branch out. All right, and you have one picture on this next one. This comes to us from Crofton. She says they have new potatoes that they are harvesting and they have scab. She wonders how to prevent it. Uh, so scab is caused by a bacteria, Streptomyces uh, scabii, but the, really we, we see potato scab in high nutrient environments. And so if you can cut back on some of that fertility, that should decrease the scab. All right. But otherwise they're fine to eat. So. Mm. Okay. <laughs> they are. John, we will move right on. <laughs> this comes to us from Takema, uh, and speaking of potatoes, and you have this one and then a second one. The first one is browning of the potato leaves and the second is from Hastings and this is a Yukon Gold. So we have three different varieties in the first picture and this one, and I know you guys had a little back and forth on it, so. Yeah, it could be uh, a disease. You know, we get fungal and bacterial diseases. We have things like late blight that causes a lot of damage on potatoes. Um, and so it could be uh, something like that. Um, I was also thinking, you know, it's been hot and dry, and so we do get some, like, like leaf scorch and damage on some things, but I'm leaning towards some sort of probably fungal disease on these. Yeah, and I, I think that late blight makes makes a lot of sense based off of the images um, and and the weather that we've been having too. So rogue yeah. them out? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not really not a whole lot to do. All right, uh, one, two pictures on this next one. This comes to us from Clancy, Montana. She used to live in Magnet, Nebraska. And they have to grow uh, their veggies in a greenhouse, and this is what our cukes are doing, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, <laughs> they don't have any soil. So what's going on here? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that can happen um, in a greenhouse, you get a lot of condensation, a lot of dripping on the leaves. So there could be some of that, some of that damage from you know, bright light and water. But I think also looking how this is in the, stays within the veins, um, we have some bacterial diseases, something like an angular leaf spot uh, could be something that's going on here as well. I mean, unless you see a lot of it, it's more cosmetic. Um, if you start to see more of it, you might want to, to start thinking about some, some sort of control. You could use something like a, a copper uh, fungicide, I think. Uh, Kyle, do you have any other? 
No, I mean, really, for, for bacterial diseases, copper is about about all the, um, yeah. all you can use in the, in the for, that's safe in the garden. Yeah. All right, and two pictures on the next one, uh, John. And yes, I know this is not yours, <laughs> but you're the vegetable guy. <laughs> so this also comes to us from Oto County. Uh, bumpy, and then like this in the middle of these green beans. Yeah, this one uh, isn't uh, part of Kyle's work. This one is Wayne's. Wayne's. Yes. Uh, so this, I believe, is uh, stink bug feeding. Uh, so we have lots of different stink bugs. So we have the brown marmorated stink bug that comes out and everyone hates. Then we have some you know, different ones, some native stink bugs. And they have little straw-like piercing mouth parts and they just stick that in there and they feed and it causes all those little stippling spots on there. Uh, and then as the bean tries to heal itself, it can have those spots on the inside. So um, it's more cosmetic. As Kyle always says, it's perfectly safe to eat. <laughs> right. yeah, we can, we, we can uh, decrease food waste here. There right. we go. <laughs> well, you know, turf for any sport is going to have to be tough and repairable. One project in the Husker football practice field was replacing synthetic turf with Kentucky bluegrass. Here's Amanda Folk to tell us more. changes are happening here on the main campus at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and one of the big things that are happening is here on the practice field for Husker football. Eleven years ago this was started as a one artificial and one real grass field and now today 11 years later it's now all 100% HDT Kentucky bluegrass. So why decision to go Kentucky bluegrass on the practice field? Well, when we look at it here in Nebraska, it's more to use cool season grasses than warm season grasses. Cool season grasses deal with the temperatures that are extreme and the cold and the temperatures throughout the year compared to warm season grasses, which is more used on the southern part of the United States from us. When we come to cool season grasses, you have prairie ryegrass, tall fescue, and Kentucky blue. Prairie ryegrass and tall fescue are faster germinate than Kentucky bluegrass. But the problem with both of them is their bunch types. Even though there's rhizomatic tall fescues, they don't do well with the traffic and the rhizome growth compared to Kentucky bluegrass. And prairie ryegrass is mostly used as an overseed to help grasses like Kentucky bluegrass to get that certain pop and repair for the traffic here in the football practice areas and other areas that are used for traffic. So with Kentucky bluegrass, it's a good grass to use because it can deal with recovery. And the recovery is because it has something called rhizomes. Rhizomes is a spread type. And with that spread type, it'll recover faster from areas of traffic to help with the student athletes here on this field. It's also used at Hibner Stadium for soccer and also for the track and field over here across from us. So what can you do for your home lawn? Well, for your home lawn, you can have a mixture, a mix of turf type tall fescue, some Kentucky bluegrass, a little bit of prairie grass too, but having a mixture of that can help with your lawn to make it better for traffic. But in this case for us in the practice field, it has to stay in Kentucky bluegrass to help with that recovery. It will be used with some mixture of prairie grass to help with the repairs, but with the field staff for Husker Athletics, they're gonna keep this field pretty well for years to come. That looks amazing. Let's do hope this fall it will help the Huskers translate that to wins. So go Big Red.
All right, we have announcements of cool stuff in the gardening world. Our first one is Daylily Days. Uh, all the information is on the screen, and that is in Bradshaw, Nebraska. Our second one is the East Campus Discovery Days, our second one, which is this Saturday from 10 to 2 right here on East Campus. Lots of fun stuff. Third one is the annual Plymouth Garden and Art Show on the 8th also at the Plymouth Community Building. And our last one is us. We will be live on City Campus on July 19th, 5.15 Q&A. The show is at 6, and this is north of the Woods Art Building, so that'll be a lot of fun. All right, gentlemen, we have a lot of questions and not much time. So your first one, Wayne, comes to us from Wayne. Nebraska, and they wonder what this, what these guys are. They know they're not typical potato bugs. What are they? And they did kill them with seven. Yeah, that'll work for them. Uh, ash gray blister beetles. All right, kill them. Yep, they All will right. mold those potatoes down. Okay. Uh, then we have a Lincoln viewer who found this in her basement. She wonders if it's a roach. It is a cockroach, but this is our Pennsylvania wood cockroach. They generally don't do very well inside, so if the basement's a little damp, dehumidifier should work just fine. All right, uh, this next one comes to us from Omaha. She's wondering what this is. It's, in, it's destroying her pentas flowers and she wonders what else it will eat. Well, that is a white lawn sphinx moth. They eat a lot of weedy plants. Go throw it out at the edge of the lawn and maybe it'll help control some of those weeds for you. Okay, then uh, two pictures on this next one from two different viewers actually. They found this guy and they wonder whether we can identify. He did stick his tongue out when she touched him. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty characteristic of swallowtails. They have that forked organ there and this one is an Eastern tiger swallowtail. All right, so good guys. Okay, Rock, you have uh, two pictures on this first one. And uh, she's wondering whether this is maple leaf goosefoot or jimson weed. She, she says it does stink. She's wondering why we would tear some of these things out, but she does want to know what this is. Uh, this is black henbane or, or um, common henbane. It's basically a nightshade. Um, and when she said it had a stinky smell, you know, we read the description. Uh, it's also known as fetid or stinky nightshade. Um, not, I've, I've never seen this physically before, so that was kind of a surprise to there. And it looked a little like a goosefoot maybe or something based on the leaf shape, but based on what she described and the height she described, I, I think we're pretty confident to say that it's a common or, or black henbane. Um, it's you know invasive in every surrounding state except Iowa. Um, so she says, why would we want to get rid of it? Well, it does tend to cause some problems in grazing ground and, and uh, crop ground. So maybe it's something that she wants to uh, consider roguing out for that reason alone. Okay, you have two pictures on the next one. They come to us from Beatrice. Uh, she came up on a slope when she planted zinnias and she doesn't know whether she could should rogue this one out. Rogue this one out right now because <laughs> it's gonna produce a bunch of flowers. This is giant ragweed mm -hmm. and she's gonna be really unhappy if anyone, she or anyone in her family has hay fever. So rogue that baby out before we see flowers on and it. She has sent really good pictures. Yeah, those are awesome pictures. Kudos to her for the quality of those pictures. We don't know where this next one comes from, but uh, he wonders what it is. It does have tiny little yellow flowers. This is yellow nightshade. It has yellow flowers and weed scientists are just like pathologists and entomologists, not very creative. It's yellow. Um, nightshade. 
get rid of probably it? Probably want to get rid of this one. Um, it doesn't really have much value and it's not like, you know, nightshades are a big family, potatoes and tomatoes and peppers are all members of that family, but this isn't one you could eat or do anything with and it looks like it's shading out some of our desirable plants. Okay, and then um, you have a uh, two here that are bindweed and we simply want to know what is the chemical you use to kill it um, so if it's not if it's in the lawn clincorac or drive um, available online and, and in various stores works it's just death in a bottle for a nightshade um, I think they said that it was in their pollinator garden so then they're gonna have to spot spray but once again I would use the drive product and be very careful to keep it off the desirable pollinators all right two picks on the first one from Elgin and one pick from Omaha from Douglas County mm -hmm of these beautiful shroomies. What are these, Kyle? These are wood ears or jelly ears. They are auricularia fungi. Um, we see them quite a bit growing on kind of dead or, or not terribly long live or not long for this world trees. Um, can also see them uh, like in this case, sometimes they'll pop up in the turf, but they are feeding on something, something under um, something woody underneath. Nothing to worry about, um, just Pretty fun. All right, uh, Dwight, Nebraska. Second year he's had a garden in the spot. First year planting zucchini. Um, is this a rot spot or just because? Um, I think it's, I would, I would, I would want some, a little bit more information. Um, would want to look at a sample, but it certainly could be, certainly could be a spot. Um, a pathogen going on there. As John mentioned, we do get, um, kind of looks like one of those bacterial diseases, but I would want to see more. All right, and one more, and this is from Murray, what's wrong with the Brandywine tomatoes? And we know that the, Wayne started this, so they're just rotten. Right? Yep, Wayne started it, and then a fungus came in and made it black, and I would not eat this one. Okay. <laughs> are you sure? Yes, but okay. it's a tomato. Tomatoes are gross. True. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. John, uh, two pictures on this first one. This is actually a, a phlox, and, uh, you know, kind of starting to turn some, some tart, pinkish sorts of colors. Is this supposed to do this? Is this too much water? What do we have going on here? I think some of it could be sun. You're getting like a little, not sunburn, but some plants uh, have different colors when you get a lot of sun. Um, might could also be some root issues, but I think it's, it's mostly sun probably. All right, uh, two pictures on this one. This comes to us from Fremont. Um, just noticed this new growth on the new growth of the grapevine. What is this? Isn't that interesting? So that is herbicide drift. Uh, so we see that uh, sort of uh, curling of the leaves. Uh, that is what happens when we get herbicide drift. Okay. Uh, quickly on this one. This is Westerville, Nebraska, with a hibiscus. What's going on with this? I think this could also be herbicide drift. You know, you see those new leaves. The way that I can tell the difference, if you can roll them out and flatten them back out, it's probably not herbicide drift, just could be drought or water issues. If right. they actually grow that way, then it's herbicide drift.